All right, folks, welcome back. Another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. A quick reminder, too, you can find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. So we'd love, if you're enjoying the podcast, give us a follow there. Send in any questions, comments, uh, any of that. And if you're a Cubs fan right now, lots of good vibes surrounding this baseball team. We got Jeremy Spector. We've got Randall J. Sanders. I'm Ronan O'Shea. The Chicago Cubs are playing their best baseball all season. They've won a season best five in a row. Now a season high six over 500 at 28 and 22. Um, Randall, lots to talk about on the show here today. We'll look back on the series against St. Louis, the sweep against the Pirates, a win today at Wrigley Field, opening up a three-game set against the Reds. But this is fun. Cubs are playing really good baseball right now, despite some injuries and the wins are just sort of piling on top of each other at this point. You know, winning streaks are fun. And even if uh, even beyond the current five game winning streak, they've won, I believe, is it eight of their last 11 or some great number like that? It's fun to watch a baseball team when they get on a good roll like this, just as it's the exact opposite of fun to watch a team when they are struggling uh, you watch every day and wonder, you know, what good things are they going to do today? And that's a great feeling to, uh, to, to have when you're watching your ball club because uh, we've all experienced the opposite, and that's not fun. Yeah, uh, definitely, obviously a great experience. Um, you know, they've, I, what, I mean, the, the record this month is like top four, top three in baseball. It's, it's really good. Team. Number two, okay. Yeah. Even better, Vlad, than I uh, dating back, you know, to the Dodgers series at the start pretty much. Um, but, uh, you know, before we go off, I, I would also like, you know, to point out this is our 20th episode. So I thought, you know, to give some love to your Corey Patterson's, your Felix PAs. Oh, you wow. Know, to me, I have a special connection to Anthony Wrecker, who once tossed me a ball at a Kane County Cougars game. Oh, yeah. But to all the people out there listening, I know Ronan will appreciate this. I think make sure if you're listening to this podcast to hide your ospreys, your endangered species, for the good old number 20, that is Jay Cook, Jay Cook uh, you, you know, out there. The man, he had a little bit of issues in Florida. but uh, I some bad things sure we, in Daytona. <laughs> we, we, got, we got some of those names out there. That's great, Jeremy. I, I got a, a soft spot for Corey Patterson, I got to say. I mean, Corey was, you know, you think about our timeline. I, I think of the big Cubs prospects that were coming up as we were really building our fandom. And I think in the mid nineties, you know, you had your, your Glanvilles and you had your, um, you know, Kerry Wood, of course, was obviously a big prospect who came to fruition in 98. But then a little bit after that, Corey Patterson was the future. And he had some great years in Chicago. He also had that terrible injury in 2003 that kind of derailed him. But he was a guy that had so much promise and hype. And when he was on, he was a very fun player to watch when he was healthy. Knocked the ball out of the park. He ran the base as well. Corey Patterson, I, I, have, I have fond memories of Corey Patterson, even if his career never really panned out in the way that we were hoping it would. Yeah, and if you look back at his numbers, uh, especially now with the benefit of the knowledge of using more advanced stats, you know, because his his defense was pretty solid in center field, so his WAR numbers are actually pretty pretty solid. Because he was such a yeah. good uh, defensive center fielder, uh, I do remember one year where it seemed like he only hit solo home runs, like that's sure. all he did. Uh, but you know, number three pick in the draft came right up, pretty much. There were some comparisons, like Ken Griffey Jr., a smaller guy, but you know, sure. But uh, you know, uh, and for our our friend Kern, a great Lansing lug nut. Yes, a great Lansing Lugnut. He, I saw him have a big hit at a game in Detroit in 2001. 
also when I think of Corey Patterson and kind of the big moments with him, he had that opening day at Shea Stadium. I think it was 2003 where he went off on opening day in a, in a Cubs victory. So some good memories. Here's a guy who I don't have good memories of. His brother, Eric Patterson, didn't really work out with the Cubs for him. Well, he was able to bring back uh, Rich Harden in, in a yeah. group of prospects, but uh, had some issues with the old sleep alarm timer. Big time. You get an opportunity to play baseball at Wrigley Field and you can't show up at the ballpark multiple times in your first week with the team. And the next thing you know, you're back in Des Moines. That's a that's a pretty big wake up call, I would think. Um, but good stuff there, Jeremy. We love Corey Patterson. We've got, I know I've teased this a little bit, but we've got some 2001 Cubs chatter coming up a little bit later. A big reason why we've been pushing that off is the, the 2021 Cubs are playing some fun baseball right now. And, and Jeremy, something that really stands out of all the things that are going right for this team right now, you can't, you can't say enough about the bullpen. Since May 16th, 38 innings, zero earned runs from this bullpen. Another great performance today, helping out Adbert after the home plate umpire, Bruce Dregman kind of screwed him out of the quality start. But this bullpen is they come out, they put up blanks and it's without a doubt helping this team win ball games. Yeah, you're definitely right. Uh, this bullpen has been elite and it, even for longer than just giving up zero runs in the last 38 innings, which is zero earned runs. You should say they allowed a couple in those extra uh, inning, uh, you know, man on second type situations, but it's been a, a great, and that's even with like a guy like Justin Steele, who was great being hurt. Uh, Tommy Nance, we've mentioned came up and he's looked good. He's being thrust into real situations and he's performing well. And you, you go back, you look at how many one run games the Cubs have mm -hmm. won uh, lately, which is probably not really a sustainable thing over the long haul to continuously win one run games, but a huge reason why they've been able to win these one run games is the bullpen has been locked uh, lights out, locked down. They come in and they just shut the door. It's like, if you, if the Cubs get any starting pitching for four innings, five innings, pretty much right now, you know, the offense is hitting well enough and the bullpen's lights out. It's like, okay, if the starters give up two or three, then the, in the first four innings, then the Cubs have a pretty good shot of winning. So, and with the way the starting pitching has been, although it's been better late lately, uh, that's, I've been a huge development for the Cubs. You know, one, one thing I wanted to add before we get too deep into this one more number 20, let's uh, have a moment oh. of silence for Mike Olt and his wrist. He of course suffered an ostensible wrist injury on a Sunday in 2015. They did not decide it was broken until later that week. And of course, Chris Bryant came up right after that. And Mike Olt was never seen or heard from in a Cubs uniform again. Um, you know, we've talked in the past about how if a team loses your, your closer, the, the rock of your bullpen, it forces everybody to slot down a spot. The Cubs have been the beneficiary of the exact opposite of that happening. They are the beneficiaries of a lockdown top flight closer right now. And having that, that rock solid anchor at the back end of your bullpen allows you to do all sorts of great mixing and matching in your middle relief and your setup positions. And that's what the Cubs are doing right now. You have Craig Kimbrell, whom you trust to hold just about any lead. And he's unflappable at the back end of that bullpen right now, knock on wood. And that allows you to slot Chafin into that setup role. And it allows you to mix and match in middle relief and get good innings out of guys like Nance and Thompson and Steele prior to his injury, and even Dan Winkler, who I'm never completely comfortable with, <laughs> but you know he's he 
he's still going out there and it, at least when the inning ends, no runs have been given up. Sometimes he needs a little bit of help with that. And that's what the Cubs are enjoying right now. They're enjoying a bullpen that you trust. And there's, there's no substitute for a bullpen that a manager and, you know, more importantly, us, the fans uh, can trust to hold just about any lead. Hey man, Dan Weekler's got a 0.54 ERA right now. He, which he is, does. Uh, pretty a ridiculous. Zero... But like, if you look at all these Cubs guys, you know, even a guy like Weekler, they all seem to be throwing harder than they usually have. I, I think mm-hmm. a Weekler hit like 95 the other day, which I, I you know, so like he's, he, he's had some, a couple outings where he's had some command issues, walking. issues. I don't know if you mentioned Tapera. Did you, yeah, uh, Randall? Because Tapera has been huge, obviously, getting out I that didn't, jam. I didn't, but there's and, another guy who's Lewis. throwing yeah. 95 with a great secondary pitch right now. Well, you yeah, know, it's couple, actually. That, coming into the year, and we talk about this with every team, bullpens are weird things in baseball, especially now where it seems like every team has a handful of guys that throw high 90s. And if those guys can locate or get a secondary pitch, suddenly you've got something cooking in the bullpen. But coming into this year, we had some optimism. Okay, Kimbrell, hopefully he's going to be Kimbrell and he has exceeded his expectations. Had a lot of hope for Rowan Wick, who should be back maybe in the next month or so. But there were a lot of concerns about, well, what, how else is this going to be pieced together? It's been a strength for this team. And the fact that they've been able to win games against good opponents over the last couple of weeks, despite the fact that a lot of the regulars are injured. Anthony Rizzo's been out a couple of days with the back. Hayward Marisnik in the outfield extended time on the injured list. Hap's been on the injured list. Nico's on the injured list. We've seen uh, Peterson and left on the injured list. So the Cubs have been navigating through injuries to key offensive players, yet they're still winning baseball games. And it's because you get to the bullpen, not that the starters have been phenomenal, but you turn the game over to the bullpen and they're just throwing up blanks. And when they put up blanks, you get a run or two, you take advantage of some boneheaded defense. All of a sudden you're winning ball games. And it's a lot of fun watching good dominant relief pitchers shut down and mow down other teams. And it's been a, a luxury, I would say for David Ross, uh, who I think has done a pretty good job overall in managing the bullpen. Um, because, you know, like I said, he, he, uh, some of the starters might have issue with it, but he has not been afraid to pull a guy early, like Trevor Williams, Adbert, you know, if, if it's the fourth inning, if it's the fifth inning and they're not, you know, third time through kind of struggling a little, he's not been afraid to like, okay, I'm turning the, the keys over to the pen because, you know, they've been dominant and he hasn't been afraid to do things like that. And I, I think it's been a solid today. He brought Chafin in in the sixth inning when, he was going to face Shogo, uh, and then they, they flipped it to Suarez, but Chafin was able to get out in the sixth inning and then pitch the seventh. So, uh, you know, I, I think overall David Ross has done a phenomenal job in managing the pen as well. And he's also been willing to take guys and give them an opportunity to prove themselves in key spots. Tommy Nance made his major league debut a week and a half ago during the Washington series, and by last Friday night, there he was pitching in a, a big spot in St. Louis. So David Ross has told these relievers, if you're effective, you'll get big innings. And so far and thus far, they've been proving they can handle that. So it's, it's been nothing short of inspirational to see, especially because bullpen was not just a big concern in the offseason. And one of your biggest bullpen ads, relatively speaking, isn't even on the team anymore. Brandon Workman obviously did not work out. But they're they're doing it. They're you know we we can talk all we want about putting pieces together, calling guys up. They're going out there and they're doing what a bullpen needs to do right now, and that's putting zeros up on the board. 
Well, it's been fun. And as of right now, as of recording this show here on Friday evening, the Cubs in a tie for first place with the Cardinals in the National League Central. Uh, Arizona, Randall, doing Arizona things. So by the time, Jeremy, you and I are out at the ballpark tomorrow, uh, Cubs will probably be in second place again. But they're right there at the top. They're playing good baseball. And it's fun to see this because they got some difficult opponents coming up here. A lot of the Padres we're going to be seeing over the next two weeks or so. More Cardinals games on the horizon as well. And those are critical interdivision games. You got to win those games. Um, I did want to start with today, though, before we kind of backtrack to the Cardinals series and the Pirates, a pretty uh, big day for me. I got to admit my first day out at Wrigley Field since May of 2019 was in there with my dad, who's been going to the ballpark since 1949. And we froze, right? It was it was not an ideal day for baseball, weather-wise. It didn't really cooperate for us. But great baseball today. The Cubs win one nothing. The lone run coming on the uh, home run from David Bodie, the Longmont, Colorado native, the hero in the ballgame today. I thought that was pretty cool. And then great Cubs pitching. Um, but, you know, it was interesting being out at the ballpark. They have increased capacity to 60%. We did not get to 60% today because the weather didn't cooperate, but just hopping on that red line, heading back down towards Wrigleyville, getting into the ballpark. I know both of you've had the opportunity to do it. I've been at a half dozen Rockies games, but to get back in the friendly confines, it's something you just can't take for granted. And it was awesome walking in there. I was walking up the steps to the seat as Wayne Mesper is doing the national anthem. And I'm like, you know what? I'm home. This is it. And it was cool. I was thinking too, the last time I was in the ballpark, different public address announcer. Last time I was in the ballpark, different organist working for the Cubs. So there've been some changes at Wrigley Field since the last time I was there, but it's still home. And to, to celebrate it with a W, that's the way to do it. Yeah, Ronan, it yeah, sounds like you're, you're cutting, it sounds like you're cutting a promo there. The, the signage will change, the PA yeah. will change, the, the organist will change, but Wrigley, Wrigley will always be there. And uh, we can say all three members of this podcast now have been back at Wrigley Field since fans have been allowed in. And there are a lot of people who uh, have not been able to enjoy that. So we are among the lucky ones. No doubt. And glad the rain held up for you. So you got a full nine in. Yeah, Ronan, you know, how lucky are you that the Cubs are the only Friday day game in, in all of MLB? Because if they were a, a typical Friday night game, you would not have seen baseball today. Well, and that's interesting you say that, Randall, because, you know, so I, I had to come in from Denver and Jeremy's the season ticket holder in the group. And thank you, Jeremy. You're the one who actually set up this ticket opportunity for my dad and I. And a couple of weeks ago, I was sort of planning the trip home. Jeremy and I are going tomorrow. We're going Tuesday night to see the Padres as well. But I wanted to get a game in with my dad. And, and the choice was either Friday or Sunday. And I didn't know what the weather was going to be, you know, three weeks ago. And the reason I picked the Friday is because... I think it's awesome that the Cubs are the only team that plays Friday day games. And I was sitting at Wrigley field today, looking up at the center field scoreboard. And it's so cool to me and just classic nostalgia looking out there and seeing the night game. Everybody else is a night game. The Cubs, the Reds, two of the oldest teams in baseball history playing each other at Wrigley field. Again, the only bummer, the weather, not really cooperating. It was an uncomfortable, it felt like an opening day weather-wise like, and, and I was okay. Like, you know what? I'm just happy to be back at the park. I was feeling a bit for my dad, you know, you're getting into your eighties and it's like, that's not the ideal way to enjoy a ball game, but we were prepared. We had enough layers. We were able to take it in and, and the Cubs delivered, you know, to give a one, nothing victory under three hours. If that's the type of game you want to have, do it on a day where it's 40 degrees and windy at Wrigley field. And it should be yeah. noted. That's a night N I T E game. Yes. Night games. Exactly. Right. Um, something else though, from today, we've talked about, 
weather may be impacting your fandom and the comfort at the ballpark. Um, I don't think I have ever seen a ball in my life impacted more by weather than the Patrick Wisdom pinch hit opportunity. I think it was the eighth inning when he came in. The Cubs are looking for some insurance runs. Jeremy, he absolutely crushed the ball. He tattooed the ball to left center field. I'm thinking a normal day, that ball is probably on Wayland Avenue. Today, completely knocked down. You know, they got the one run from Bodie on a low line drive, but Wisdom is probably sitting in the dugout going, what is this ballpark? What's going on here? I killed that ball and I'm sitting in the dugout with an out. Crushed. Absolutely crushed. I was at the Peterson game and I remember when he hit it, I I, I was following the, everybody was going crazy, but I was following the uh, fielders as I usually do. So I wasn't really thinking he was going to get out, even though I thought he crushed it, but watching this one on the TV, uh, I, when he hit that ball, I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, that's going to be gone. Uh, But the way I, I had noticed earlier, it seemed like every fly ball, the, all the uh, outfielders were coming in so far to catch it. So I, I was watching and I was like, that ball's crushed. I couldn't believe yeah. that it, it, it kind of stayed in, but it, w- it was pretty incredible. And then they were showing graphics, you know, like 40 feet is pushing in or whatever. You see some things on Twitter show even more than that. But, uh, you know, I, I, as you said, I feel for wisdom. He could have had two homers in two days. So, yeah. uh, but the Cubs were able to hold on. So he did, they didn't need that add on run. Jock hit a couple of balls today as well that I think on another day are out of the ballpark and, and something that stood out, you know, you're taking the train, you're coming down to the ballpark, you're always looking at the flagpoles. And I knew, you know, the, before we knew the forecast heading down there, 40 mile per hour wind gust, it was going to be a day we knew the wind was going to be blowing in. But when you, when you come around the curve at Sheridan and you can see the flagpoles and it's like, oh, they don't even have the divisional flags up. It's one of those days where the only flag flying is the American flag uh, up on the, on the scoreboard. That's when you know it's going to be a, a a blustery day at the ballpark and um it something i saw today too that you you will basically never see otherwise chris bryant mvp chris bryant digging into the batter's box they're playing shallow center field shallow right field and he was in there all day the outfielders were playing in because there was really going to be nothing hit to the wall so it changes the game though there were line drives earlier in the game that on a different day drop in for a base hit or split the gap and you get two bases on it today ends up being a line drive fly out. Cubs only had three hits in the ball game today, but it was enough to win because Bodie had just enough to knock it into the basket in left field and give him the one, nothing win. You mentioned the win Rafael Ortega playing right field today. He came in on a pop-up. He called off the second baseman, a couple steps shy of the infield dirt. The wind yes. just doing incredible things today. Every pop-up behind home plate ended up five, six, seven rows deep behind home plate, just one of those crazy wind blowing in off the lake days at Wrigley. And, and Randall credit where credit's due. And as the play unfolded, my dad was saying, it's Randall's guy. It's Randall's guy. Sogard with a great defensive play late in the game, turning the double play, getting out of the inning and, and preserving the win for the Cubs. So, Hey, I'm not a Sogard guy. I know you, you probably hate him more than anybody else on the Cubs, but he made a nice play with the glove today. And typical, he pl- he did it when I could not see it, which I there think you go. I, I think it wraps up the segment quite nicely right there. Sure. So a fun win for the Cubs. They've got a couple more with the Reds. We'll talk more about the Red series. We'll look ahead to the Padres next week. But this week started with one of the great rivalries in baseball history, the Cubs and the Cardinals. Um, Randall, I wanted to see how you did. So the Cubs won the series, taking two out of three. But those were two nationally televised games on Saturday, Sunday. How did you navigate through the Cubs series against the Cardinals last weekend? 
uh, the mute button was my navigator, Ronan. The, the mute button was riding shotgun with me. Uh, there's no other way to do it. I, I you know, li- listeners to our podcast and those who follow me on Twitter know how little use I have for national broadcasts. And you could probably make the case that they are a, a relic, that they are an archaic relic of a time gone by when there was no MLB TV. And you could probably get rid of them if MLB were to remove their uh, the, the territorial restrictions. I'm aware that's not going to happen and they're not going anywhere. You, you know, the Fox broadcast will, could have been worse. I don't hate Joe Buck. I think he's very good at his job. I think he uh, gets locked into a narrative sometimes and has trouble kind of deviating from that if that's not how the game goes. But I, I like Joe Buck. Smoltz sits there and he he growls about how much better the game was when he was playing. Okay, John, you you go do that. Thank you. And the ESPN booth, you can hear it in my voice. I did not hear any of it, but you can't help but absorb some of it by osmosis. It, it, it was like it was like Adam Wainwright was retiring and they were spending the whole game extolling his career, which he's had an okay career. I don't know that he's had a career that's going to end in any kind of enshrinement outside of St. Louis. And, you know, you have Alex Rodriguez, Jeremy, and I know you've got you've got receipts on this just talking about things that flat out are not happening in the game, talking about what players can't do when they are doing the exact opposite of that. It's, it's not a good broadcast. And you pair that with the fact that it's in St. Louis, which is already going to be a home heavy broadcast. Cause that's how they do. It's the same thing when they're at Wrigley. That's fine. But you pair it with that. You pair it with Wainwright on the mound. You pair it with the home plate umpire, giving Wainwright a foot off the plate inside and outside and the broadcasters giving him credit like he's pitching the game of his life, it, it, it untenable doesn't begin to cover it. So again, the mute button is my friend, my constant, my navigator. I don't know what I'd do without it. And I'm glad the Cubs were able to get out of there with a win. And of course, I jinxed it. I jinxed myself. I jinxed all of us. And I apologized. I said at the time that the that was the last Sunday night game on the schedule for the Cubs this season. And uh Less than a week later, they they add another one for the Cubs this uh, Sunday, I believe the 13th against the Cardinals at Wrigley. So everyone out there, I apologize. I jinxed it. I thought I knocked on wood properly at the time. Apparently not enough. Uh, and I, I've brought this evil upon us once again. But yeah, that answers your question, Ronan. I navigated sure. it as best I could. And even that was not good. Yeah, I don't think they uh, set the, uh, yeah, the Sunday night schedules that far in advance I, no I think, and I, I said at the time so, like that this is the case for now like, knowing that they the can flex games knowing like that they can flex set. games into that so I was strictly going down the Sunday start times for the remainder of the season and you know I jinxed it again I apologize so I, I would expect more than just you know I, I don't I I can't ima- I imagine they're not gonna have at least one more um so my question to you Randall then is if you're not listening to the game what are you listening to? Or are you just listening to nothing? I generally, I generally just keep it muted and deal with the, the, the crushing silence because I'll take that over Vesgers in an A-Rod. You know, I would love to keep the radio on, but there's a, a, a delay, there are a couple seconds and that can be jarring. Um, so I just assume not. I'll deal with the silence because again, silence never says anything stupid. Silence never tries to write the great American novel. Uh, every time somebody makes a play silence never tells you well how great of a job adam wainwright is doing when he's getting 
pitches in the other batter's box. So I'll, I'll deal with the silence. I, I don't <laughs> believe bothers you. you with the phrase win, right? I think that's fine. I, I just don't believe you, Randall. I think you're spending these games listening to your best one-liners on behind the yellow line. You've got like a little montage going Mixed and you're tape. just a mixtape, if you will, exactly. And you're just listening going, ah, that was a good one. I got him there. You know, things like that. Oh, Ronan, my best, my best one-liners are the entire episode. That would take far too long to listen to back to back to back. Yeah. I, 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 so for me, I, I thought that uh, I, I can't believe you wouldn't want to hear A-Rod, uh, you know, list off every height and weight for umpires in, in the Major League Baseball. I, I thought, you know, that was pretty impressive how A-Rod knows, you know, Eric Backus's height and weight and, you know, just reading off Jordan Baker and whatever. I'm like, I didn't know all this. So that's sometimes that's solid information. But yeah, you know, I, I was a little peeved after Javi hit that homer in the 10th inning and then they're going on and on about, well, how do you value him for the offseason? And then, well, he can't, you know, he's going to, he has the low contact rates or he chases pitches. I'm like, dude, just hit, you know, a two run homer in a major game. Like, why are we focusing on that? Like, focus on, like, they don't have to focus on that in this moment. You focus on the game. That was just kind of annoying to me. Um, but, you know, outside of that, I, I, you know, the Cubs played pretty well in St. Louis. Some close games. They broke up that game on Friday night late. But uh, pitching was mostly solid all around, uh, including the starters. So, you know, that uh, the Cubs, you know, against what? The Mets, the Cardinals, and the Dodgers. I know the Dodgers aren't in first right now, but they're 8-1. and one. And and the Nationals, throw them in there, too. They're a team playing much better baseball, too, of late. So yeah. it, they've, they've been playing. The Cubs, though, have the uh, second-best record in baseball, 17-7 and seven here over the last month. And uh, it's it's awesome to see that. And the good vibes continued after the series victory in St. Louis. The Cubs go to Pittsburgh. They sweep the Pirates for the first time in Pittsburgh in at least a three game series since 2016. And they did it behind really good offense. Game one, Jack Peterson with a couple of home runs. Uh, Jake Arrieta struggled early in that game, kind of righted the ship after the second inning, ended up turning it into uh, what ended up being a Cubs victory. Trevor Williams solid in game two. And then the story yesterday, and I I know everybody's talked about it. Javier Baez, the play that he made. Uh, Randall, we've seen Javier Baez do a lot of things on the field. What he did on the base pass between home plate and first base yesterday really kind of turned that game to into a Cubs victory, but it just highlighted the fun of Javier Baez when he's on because you just don't see other players make the type of play like he did yesterday. You know, we, we say it time and time again. Javi has a lot of flaws as a player. Uh, if you're A-Rod, maybe he's only flaws as a player. The, the, the instincts, the awareness, the ability to see what's going on and try and make something out of nothing, it's otherworldly. And it, it turns games for the Cubs. Again, he not only allowed a run to score, but he got himself to second and would score on the bloop single by Ian Happ, just a batter later. He accounted for two runs with that play. And that was a game they only won by two runs. They only won that game five to three. If Javi doesn't do what he did there, they may not win that game if everything else goes as it does. You just can't put uh, you, you just can't properly put into words what he's able to do with his ability on the base paths and on the baseball diamond. There, there's so few players in baseball right now. Maybe Fernando Tatis Jr. has the athleticism and the awareness to pull off something like that. Maybe a couple other guys, but nobody does it quite like Javi. I think it, it illustrates too, and Jeremy, I'd be curious, kind of your thoughts on this. You know, after the play happened, 
everybody had an opinion on it. And I think we would all agree, yeah, the Pirates obviously had a, a lot of lapses on that play. All they have to do is step on first base. The run doesn't count. They get out of the inning. But it really goes to show you, Jeremy, like in the moment when the chaos is happening on the field, it's not the same as when you get a chance to reflect back on the play and then think about the rule book and think about strategy. In the moment, the broadcasters, both the Pirates broadcasters and the Cubs broadcasters, were thrown off by that play. And I think that's the magic of the play from Javi. 99.9% of players run to first and take the out that he stopped just that moment, that instant of him stopping, it throws chaos into the equation and whatever your baseball instincts are, you never prepare for a play like that. And I think that that element of surprise was instrumental to pulling off a trick play like that. Yeah. I, well, I think not only that he stopped, it's, it's that he backtracked as well. Yeah. Uh, Cause I feel like, first of all, as you say, 99.9% of players a vast majority of them are probably not really running it out you know because yeah. Javi said his first approach he thought he was going to try to dive for the bag which I don't know if that would have been the smartest thing to do but you know he, he was going to try to run and then they got the ball got there so fast but he runs and then in that other situation a guy I mean guys will you know they'll stop but they'll like give themselves up or whatever Javi starts you know backtracking and moving back towards home and it's like I you know you can say whatever you want about it, I, how you interpret it. Like some people might say, well, that's kind of a dumb move or whatever, but like, because nobody does that, or, you know, a handful of guys do that. Uh, Randall mentioned Tatis. I feel like a uh, Nakunya could do something like that as well. Um, but just a handful of guys would even think about or attempt to do something like that. It just like throws everything off. It's like, it's uh, all these people are out there, you know, tweeting or whatever, like, all oh, you do is step on the back. It's easy to do like, you know, to think about afterwards, or it's easy to like, when you see everybody else commenting the same thing to, you know, just jump in and pile on. But like in the moment when it's happening, you know, I, I don't think people, you know, they forgot Boog, I think Boog like forgot there's two outs. So when Wilson scores, he's like, Javi stole a run without even remembering that Javi still has to go back to first, you know, yeah. Javi's so excited in the moment he's, he's signaling safe. And then he's like, Oh, I got to go to first, you know, uh, even Michael Perez, the catcher, you know, he his first reaction is uh, uh, Will Craig. I mean, everybody's hating on Will Craig, but Michael Perez's first reaction is to tag, to uh, make an attempt to tag Wilson. He doesn't have to tag Wilson. He could just turn around and tag Javi, and yeah. the and it would, wouldn't matter, you know. So it's like everybody's kind of like thrown off by this one guy who's not who's doing something that's not expected. That he's zagging when everybody else would zig, you know, or vice versa, and so it just throws everything off. It throws everything to chaos. And it, there's a reason why these types of things happen when Javi's around. It's not like a coincidental that it's always Javi's running the bases and somehow other guys are just screwing up. It's because he's like breaks their brains by doing things they don't expect. And so, yeah, a lot of it's on the pirates. They obviously didn't, you know, they should have been doing different things, but a significant portion of that is also Javi, Javi Baez. Like he, deserves credit for baiting Will Craig for putting that pressure on that most other guys wouldn't do. Yeah. It's throwing a wrench into something. You never see that. You never see players backtrack to home plate. 
And even the middle infielders were sleeping for the Pirates. Normally, when first base is open, middle infielders, second baseman in particular, or the pitcher know, I got to cover first base. You got to get coverage over there. They're watching the play unfold because they've never seen anything like that before. And it's so instantaneous. Javi gets from home plate to first place in a blink of an eye, too, in order to be safe and then eventually advance to second base and score. But just so fun to see that types of awareness. And you try things like that. You're present in the moment. You can pull off incredible things. You know, yeah, Javi calls you know, himself. Javi calls himself El Mago. That's the definition of, yeah. of of magic. You do something to distract your your watchers, and while they're distracted, you do something somewhere else. That's what he does. He he gets himself into these situations and as you said he does things that no one is expecting and no one has seen and it results in great things like he did and, but uh, to go back when you're talking about the pirates um because adam frazier you know he'd probably get a lot of and i realized they were in a shift on the left side so he was on the other side and he never covered uh first at the pitcher probably could have but also i was gonna say um you know the right fielder is nowhere to be seen pretty much in that play yeah. and, and actually misses the ball uh, that allows Javi to go to second, but like the right fielder should have been coming towards, you know, first place, even back up or whatever, uh, because, you know, it's two outs of the inning. You would think he's even coming in just to come in. Like uh, everybody's brain just broke down. So it wasn't just like all on Will Craig, you know, like, Oh, there's a big Will Craig screw up. It was, it was all over. Yeah. But- Poor Will Craig was the one who went in front of the media in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh today and had to explain what happened. You know, his second baseman, his pitcher, and his right fielder and his catcher, nowhere to be seen. Poor Will Craig well, has to go out there and, and wear it. They all talked yesterday, and Will Craig didn't talk yesterday. Was he dodging it or just – I don't know. Didn't, he, I mean, he didn't go to the media, so he came to the media yeah. today. That's why it was like a big thing that he spoke today. But most guys well, talked yesterday. And, and look, it's a tough time for the Pirates right now, right? This is a team that also is dealing with pretty significant injuries. Their first baseman is out. Their third baseman is out. Two of their better players. And frankly, there's no other depth really with that team. They got a couple of other guys. Um, their first and second batter will put up some decent numbers. But after that, very, very thin. Their pitching staff, very weak as well. And um, the Cubs doing what they need to do. Taken that sweep against the Pirates. Um, now, again, winners of five in a row, six over at 28 and 22. And the series rolls on. So we mentioned the win today, a one nothing victory on a blustery day at Wrigley Field. We're going to see sunshine tomorrow and Sunday. It's going to slowly heat up as we work through the rest of this homestand. Two more with the Reds, Jeremy. Then the Padres come in next week. Let's start here with the Reds. Uh, not the best matchup for the Cubs tomorrow with Zach Davies on the mound, but Castillo for the Reds. This is a fantastic pitcher who has atrocious numbers this year. So maybe an opportunity with sunshine and warmer weather tomorrow for the bats to really get a chance to put up more than the one that they did today. Yeah, and Castillo actually, I, I mean, I haven't looked it up lately, but I feel like he's actually struggled against the Cubs as well. I don't think he has very good numbers against the Cubs. Um, hopefully tomorrow, you know, you'll, you can get Rizzo back in the lineup, uh, maybe feeling a little bit better. He's been out the last three days with back tightness, I believe. Although he had said that he could possibly pinch hit um, and that he was feeling a little better, but I, I Ross wanted to keep him out just – didn't want like, you know, Matt Duffy missed a lot of time. They put him in and then he had to be taken out and go straight to the IL. So I think they've been trying to walk that fine line. And also with the way the Cubs IL is right now and the 40 man road roster, it's like, 
they have all this crunch of who goes where. So I, I but hopefully he can get back in. But uh, it's interesting. The Reds, I feel like they have three really good hitters at the top of the lineup. Cassiano's Winker uh, at the top have been killing balls. And then after that, it's kind of a giant hole. So it's yeah. like you just get past these three guys, you're kind of good until they come back up. Right, right. And you got to wonder what's up with Suarez. He's been awful this year. Yeah. Uh, talking about Luis Castillo, though, 10 starts this season, 47 and a third innings. He has allowed the most runs of any pitcher, 40 earned runs there, also eight home runs in 47 innings. Um, so not the guy that we've seen in the past. He's normally a low three earned run average type pitcher, despite pitching in that pitcher, uh, rather hitter friendly ballpark in Cincinnati. So a difficult start to the season, Luis Castillo at one and seven. But for the Cubs, Randall, Zach Davies, I've mentioned this before. Every time I see Zach Davies, it's the image of you, Darvish, morphing into Zach Davies that just pisses me off and puts me in a bad mood. But you almost feel right now like if he could just give you five innings and a couple of runs, they should be okay. You know, that's kind of what you're feeling. At least that's how I'm feeling every time Davies takes them out. Yeah, Zach Davies, he's the reminder of what we've lost. And, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe that's unfair to him, but that that's what he is. And you said it. If with some of his outings earlier in the season. And a lot of those were in April. He has been better in May. If he can give you five innings and does not completely burn the game down, you feel like he's done his job. You'd like to have a little higher expectations of him, given that you're counting on him to be one of the more stable parts of your rotation, but you, you work with what you have. And hopefully with, as you said, much better conditions tomorrow, um, he can keep the reds lineup at least off the border, at least under control, yeah. Um, better than he did, better than he did in previous outings against the Reds. Jeremy, to your point about Luis Castillo, in for his career, he's four and four against the Cubs with an ERA of three point nine five. So he, you know, for the most part, he's been exactly what the numbers said. They've gotten him a few times. He's gotten them a few times. And about Eugenio Suarez, and you know, we have to mention Pat Hughes, who celebrated a birthday this week. One of the the yeah. voices of our fandom. Eugenio, he always brings out the syllables in that game. He started the season of the Red, as the Reds' everyday shortstop because they were simply so thin on the infield and they had players that they were more able to plug in at third base. Um, you wonder if that has impacted his offense some. He's not having his typical season. And, you know, I don't pay attention to the Reds when they're not in front of me. He wasn't in the lineup today. I had wondered if he was hurt. No, he was just sitting. Um, cause yeah, he's had a down season and you wonder if the attempted defensive switch had something to do with that. I'm sure he'll be back in there tomorrow. And even though he's having just an awful offensive season, it feels like every time he's up there, he's a threat to drive sure. one out of the park against the Cubs. Um, so yeah, that's a lot that's gone long, gone wrong for the Reds this season. I know they were heavy preseason favorites again, and they're struggling right now. And hopefully the Cubs can continue to take advantage. They started the season red hot they are not right now. They're not even very good right now. And we say it all the time. It's a lot of the time about when you when you play a team, not who you're playing. And the Cubs are fortunate to catch the Reds when they're in uh, a little bit of a downswing right now. Yeah, as to, as to Davies, uh, he's been better in the month of May. Uh, uh, he had a, a terrible April, as a lot of Cubs starters did, uh, uh, Hendricks. Um, but, you know, he's gone five innings each of the last three starts. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say he's been what you – uh, necessarily wanted him to be, although, you know, I, I wasn't really expecting a ton from him, but he, he's gone his last, or excuse me, his last four starts, he's gone completely at least five innings, uh, you know, so 
He has like a one seven one ERA, I think, in the month. Uh, you know, not really striking out a lot of guys, but he's, you know, he's getting outs. So we'll see how he does uh, uh, on Saturday. But uh, as I said, you know, hopefully the uh, the offense, uh, or excuse me, Rizzo comes back and the offense could really step up. Uh, I'm not, you know, the, the Reds are an interesting team. I, I was never really a big Reds fan last year. I didn't think they were going to be all that great. They ended up coming back hot at the end of the season. This year, I think I had them like fourth in the division um, entering the season. Uh, so I don't know. They're an interesting team. They, they have some good hitters, but we'll see how they do. Well, a chance for another series win if the Cubs can get a victory tomorrow and then get out those brooms again, like Randall on his balcony, sweeping away the Cincinnati Reds here. That's the hope, at least this weekend. And things get a little bit more difficult next week. Uh, Jeremy, you and I will be out there Tuesday night, but beginning Monday afternoon, the holiday game. Cubs and one of the most exciting teams in baseball, the San Diego Padres. Uh, interesting note in that series, though, and the Padres have a million interesting players and storylines and everything around them. Cubs are going to miss you, Darvish. And that is good for the Cubs because he may be on his way to a Cy Young in a very, very pitching heavy National League. But a little bit sad that we're not going to get to see him at Wrigley Field. You want to give him the ovation that he deserves, because if I had the opportunity to give him a clap, I would. I will say uh, Nick Castellanos today. One single loud clap for me for his first at bat when he trotted up to the plate. I gave him that courtesy single clap, paying my dues to him. I appreciate the efforts that he brought to the north side, even though it was a short stint. Uh, but Randall, are you a little bummed, even though it's good for the Cubs offensively? Are you a little bummed to miss Darvish next week? Not especially. Win, no. win at all costs. And okay. the fact that he's he's not starting means you can you can schedule that tribute video for Monday night or during the day Monday, rather. Uh, you don't have to worry about uh, whether he's starting or not, like you did with Lester. Uh, it's going to be a very difficult series against San Diego. We know how great of a team they are. We know how great that lineup is. I'm, I'm fine with anything, every little advantage the Cubs can get, because they're going to need it. So I'm perfectly fine with missing Darvish. Definitely Jeremy, agree. any thoughts on Darvish coming home? I was going to say, definitely agree. I, 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 I have no issues with missing a U Darvish start. I, I, I don't need to see him carving up some Cubs hitters. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I got to agree with Randall on that. It's a little unfortunate. I assume uh, as Randall said that they'll do the tribute video on Monday and we'll be there Tuesday. So uh, I don't know, maybe they'll push it back because they want to do it at night or something, but. Uh, and, and maybe they'll have, you know, festivities for the holiday on Monday that it just wouldn't true. make sense to do it that day. And yeah, maybe Jeremy will get a chance Tuesday night to tip the cap. And Unlike unlike Lester, who probably had a, an idea, given his contract status, given the team's financials, he probably had an idea that his time as a Cub was coming to an end. Darvish probably did not. And, you know, another, just another guy that the Cubs fans never got to say goodbye to. And after his his great 2019, where he was Cy Young worthy, um, you would hope that the fans who will be back in the ballpark know to give him the, the proper reception because Darvish was for a time, a, a bit of a lightning rod, a bit of a litmus test. There were people who, given his contract, were all over him unfairly. So you, you would hope those people are not in the ballpark, and you would hope the people who are are ones who are willing to uh, applaud Darvish for the good work he did in a Cubs uniform. There will be possibly, hopefully, a chance to give Victor Caratini a hand. A so, single clap? A uh, maybe a he gets, clap. you know, he's been on some playoff teams. He gets he gets more than one clap, I think. Well, he, there's he some people two. out there he gets that were One that... for each side of the plate. There are some people out there that were running him down over the past couple of years, you know, a little hatred for Victor. 
I, I see. I feel the shade there. I will readily admit if we had this podcast going last year and to be fair, Jeremy, we tried for a long time try. to get this podcast going and one member of the group refused to participate. So it's his fault that you can't pull up the tapes of this. I was frustrated with Victor Caratini last season, but I think it changed when he was sort of thrown in on that Darvish deal as if he's an insignificant player, especially frustrating given Austin Romine's injuries. The fact that we had to suffer through a month and a half of Tony Walters in a Cubs uniform before Higgins came in to kind of spell us from uh, the, the uh, era of Tony Walters. But I was, I thought that was sort of insulting that a player of Caratini's caliber, even though last year was rough, he didn't slug for anything last year, just kind of thrown in on that Darvish deal was pretty insulting. And it, and it, it's extra insulting now that you look at this Cubs roster right now. They're in a bad division. They're getting an MVP season from Chris Bryant. Javi, despite a horrendous start, is is putting up positive war numbers. And there's a lot of good things happening with this team right now. They need a starting pitcher. They need you, Darvish, and this team is easily in first place. So that's frustrating right now because you'd be looking at it going, okay, you got Darvish, you got Adbert, you've got Hendricks. I would take one of Arietta. Uh, Davies, Williams. I don't think this rotation needs three of those guys. And then maybe you're adding another pitcher here in July. Instead, if the Cubs want to contend for a division here, they're going to need more than one starter, I think, to get that done. So frustrating that Darvish is not here. And unfortunately, that Padres series will be a reminder that, oh yeah, this all-star caliber pitcher, this Cy Young potential winner, he's on the other team now. And you just got to kind of see him in the dugout. It is kind of funny in a sad way. This, this team is a you Darvish away from being yes. a potentially a legitimate contender. Where could they get a picture of you Darvish's caliber? It, it boggles the mind. Maybe they can offer the uh, Padres the same four prospects the Padres traded. That's yeah. the value for you Darvish. Actually, well, I was thinking about because he's farther into his contract. I was thinking about you Darvish today at Wrigley Field when I bought a because, you know, Wrigley is not a Coke ballpark. It's a Pepsi ballpark. I bought Plastic a Pepsi? Jim Beam and Pepsi. Wow. It was $20 for a Jim Beam and Pepsi. I got a nice cup, which ended up coming home with me. And I'm like, oh, oh, the you Darvish money is here, Mr. Ricketts, that you can't spend on the team. Frustrating. They say they're ahead of projections, uh, Jed. They're ahead of projections now. So uh, you got to pay. Well, it, it's, it's fun. And I say this now, ask me again in July, depending on what the Cubs do ahead of the deadline. It is fun that we're having conversations here at the end of May that, hey, maybe they could be adding guys heading towards the second half of the year. Because I was pretty dour coming into the season going, oh boy, we got a lot of guys on expiring contracts. Once the Darvish trade happened, it seemed that payroll was going to be slashed or continue to be slashed. It has been slashed. It's going to be a matter of how bad was it going to be. Now maybe maybe things are changing. And with the books opening up a little bit, um, it would be horrible to see Chris Bryant playing for any other team next year. And watching him play first base sort of effortlessly, my seats were just down the first base line today, watching him going, just do what it takes. Make sure he's a Cub for life and let's get it over with at this point. Same thing every week. Pay that man his yeah. money. Pay him. Pay, pay him. that man his money. Uh, remaining weather again from our friend Alexander Hall of uh, At Cubs Weather, who you should follow if you're not already. If you're heading out to the ballpark uh, for the remainder of the Red Series or next week for the Padres Series, you will have uh, a lot better luck with the weather than Ronan did today at Wrigley. 
uh, in his uh, his write up here for us, he says the weather can only get better from here, which is 100% true. Uh, so as Ronan pointed out, tomorrow, Saturday, today, by the time you're listening to this, it will be sunny, fortunately. It will be in the upper 50s, probably a good uh, 10 degrees warmer than it was for Friday. Uh, the wind will still be a little bit of a factor. It'll be in from center field, right field at 10 to 20 miles per hour. So it may still bring some balls back from the bleachers. Sunday will be even more pleasant. It'll be sunny again. Temperatures in the low 60s this time. The wind will be in again from right field, but only five to 10 miles per hour. So the weather will get progressively better this weekend. And then for the Padres series next week, Alex describes the vibes as Southern California. It'll be warm, it'll be sunny, and there will be comfortable humidity, which is not always a guarantee for the Memorial Day uh, time period here in Chicago. So for the day game on Memorial Day Monday, you can expect temperatures right around 70 degrees. Uh, it'll be partly cloudy with light and variable winds. Tuesday night for Ronan and Jeremy at the ballpark, it'll be partly cloudy, temperatures in the low 70s, and a light lake breeze in from right field. Sounds like pretty good weather. And then for the series finale on Wednesday, another day game, it will again be partly cloudy. Temperatures will again be in the low 70s. There will again be a light lake breeze in from right field with a chance for uh, some rain, some inclement weather. But all in all, it sounds like the weather for the Padre series will be perfect for late May, early June at Wrigley. And if you're heading out there as Ronan and Jeremy are to partake in the 60% capacity, it looks like the conditions will be very favorable for you. So good to see some nicer weather moving into Wrigley as we end May and get into June here. That is good news because it, it was rough today at the ballpark. I uh, it, it just, the wind, you got off the train and the wind just sort of swept through the train car and it was like, oh boy, here we go. Uh, fortunately though, where we sat down the first baseline, we were sort of shielded from the wind. It was still cold, but I was looking at some people in the upper deck where, especially if you're in that top section of the upper deck, what used to be the 500 section, I think it's the 400 section now, where you've got the gate behind you, that wind is blowing straight through. You're in a wind tunnel up there. If you're in the back of the lower deck as well, you're in the wind tunnel, you get caught in there. So we were dry. We were mostly shielded from the wind and to win a ball game in under three hours, I'll take it, at least on a day like today. I don't care, Jeremy, how long we're at the ballpark tomorrow. I hope we're there all night Tuesday. I don't want to leave. But today I was ready to get out of there in three hours. Yeah, that's always the feeling. It's always kind of – it's always even like I think I mentioned this early in April. You know, it's like when it's like a cold day like that, raining, and you got to start getting to the seventh, the eighth inning. And especially if the Cubs are like down a run, it's like – or whatever it's like whatever it is just just please don't tie the game i don't want to go into extras you know either come back and win it or, or lose yeah well and that good thing this cubs bullpen has been so lights out yeah. uh, kimbrell again just quality ninth inning uh, really nothing to sweat there with kimbrell he got to a full count on um winker and other than that he was fine and was able to get it all taken care of so uh, he's been rock solid and i will say it was cool today Lots of interesting reactions for players and things. That was the first time I've ever been at Wrigley Field when Kimbrell has come in in a save situation. And the remaining, there maybe were 12,000 fans or so in the park at that point. They announced the crowd at 18,000 and it had never quite got that many. It was loud when Kimbrell was coming in and not just his entrance music, but just the reaction of him coming out from the bleachers. I was like, wow, this is neat. And there were a couple of times during the game today where I was just looking around smiling going, yeah, this the Cubs fans 
and Chicago fans, really, it's a whole different breed of sports fans. And I've been going to Rockies games, doing a six, six, seven Rockies games already this year. Yes, there's a baseball game occurring, but it's like social night. You're out having a beer. There's a baseball game in the background. People today at Wrigley Field were very into that game. Two outs in the sixth inning, two strikes on the batter. There's no sign on the video board saying two strike noise or cheer now. Everybody's clapping. People getting up on their feet with two outs in the ninth inning. It's so refreshing to see that. And something else that I noticed today that was very, very fun, and we're going to talk about this guy now, Joe West. There was the play at second. Javi steals second. Joe West calls him out. Multiple people around me instantly Joe, you blew it. People yelling. They knew who the umpire was at second base. They were all over it. I've seen Joe West twice now at Coors Field, once here at Wrigley. I'm getting the Joe West like circle tour here. But the fact that Cubs fans recognized it, they knew who he was, it's just a different level of engagement that you don't get in other cities. And it was fun to be back in the intimate ballpark and seeing fans that knew that. Uh, but speaking of Joe West, got to tip the cap, your cowboy cap to uh, old country Joe. He sets the record 5,376 games as a major league umpire. His first game, Randall, at 23 years old back in 1976. With the historic game or earlier this week at Sox Park, he passes Bill Clem, who back in 1941 had set the record for the most games ever set by an umpire. Uh, Randall, you know, what, what do you think about this? I know that you don't like Joe West, but that's history. And the guy epitomizes history at the ballpark. Well, I'll, I'll try and temper this Ronan. Um, I, you know, I guess you don't stick around in any job for that long without somebody in some position thinking you're doing a good job. So Joe West, he, he's been an umpire for a very long time. He'll probably stay an umpire for a very long time until they, have to start wheeling him out there. And even then he'll probably still be an, a plate umpire somehow. So yeah, it's, you know, it baseball is a game that goes back a lot of decades, goes back a, a couple centuries and he's, he's been a part of it for a very long time. So uh, yeah, good for Joe West uh, setting that, setting that umpiring record, 5,376 games. That's a lot of games umpired. And Maybe what I can get more behind is some of the players he's interacted with, some of the things he's seen to be around the game since 1976. You've seen great players. You've seen Hall of Famers come and go. So maybe more interesting than Joe himself is maybe some of the things he's seen on a baseball diamond in that time. And I would bet that it is a, a very long and very interesting list of some of the things he's encountered. Well, I, I definitely want to give a shout out to uh, Joe West. Congrats, man, on doing it. It's probably cool he did it on the south side. Uh, it's a little ways to go to take that ejection record. I don't know if he'll get that one, but who knows how long he's going to umpire for. But a good man, a good dude, Joe West. And, uh, you know, today I was going to – I was mentioning he took uh, Giovanni Gallego's cap in uh, uh, a few days ago. Actually, it was Dan Bellino who uh, was the one who initiated it. Joe West being the crew chief took it. And then today, I think there was something that he took uh, Craig Kibble's, Kibble's cap as well, you know. So, uh, but, uh, you know, seeing a Major League Baseball crack down a little bit on the foreign substances. And I, I've seen some praise for Joe West for doing us uh, as such. Uh, of course, no fireworks today at Wrigley and nobody got ejected. Nobody argued like Mike Schild and Craig Kimbrell was still nasty. So it didn't really affect him. But, uh, you know, Joe, he's been along for a long time and, uh, He's been involved in a lot of different incidents over the years, as we all know. One of my favorite ones ever, if you go on 
on uh, YouTube, you could find Andre Dawson, my favorite player ever. Even though my mom was listening last week, she said, you said Gary Sheffield was your favorite player, but I always thought it was Andre Dawson. I agree. Andre Dawson is my favorite player, but Gary Sheffield is a great one as well. But uh, you could see Andre Dawson not too happy with a couple strike calls, gets uh, ejected, and then the bats just come flying out of the dugout. 14, 15, 16, 17 bats. And I think that's just a great uh, clip. And Joe West is right in the middle of it as he's right in the middle of a lot of things. And so, uh, you know, it's always, it's always fun. I liked when Madden was around because Madden always had fun with Joe and the, the two Joes, I guess. So, uh, uh, and he was able to take it to Paul LaDuca and take all his money as well in a court of law. So there you go, Joe. I, I'll say something, too, that I, I think will be controversial, at least to one person in the group here. Well, well, let me start by saying this. It's an amazing accomplishment to be the most tenured umpire in the history of the sport. That's an incredible thing for Joe West to have. And um, it is something that, that uh, that's never going to be beaten. And the reason it's never going to be beaten is because there are no 23-year-old umpires in Major League Baseball anymore. It's very difficult to get to the major leagues before you're 30 years old anymore. So I, I think it's kind of cool, and I feel fortunate when I see the umpires come out at the beginning of every game, I always know when Joe West is there, he's got a particular shape to him. That even when I'm in the upper deck, the, the way up 52, 80 seats at Coors field, I see him down there. And today, you know, looking at the scoreboard where the Wrigley field scoreboard shows the umpire numbers, seeing that 22 out at second base for Joe West caught my eye, but I'm actually kind of developing a soft spot for Joe West. And I, I don't know if it's, I don't know what's triggering it. I just think, it, I don't think he is a perfect umpire. I definitely think some of the criticisms of him maybe trying to get in the spotlight, there's absolutely something to that. He's certainly not the worst umpire in baseball. Angel Hernandez is going to have that until he leaves the sport. But I've just got kind of respect for the way that, that Joe West has been a mainstay in the sport. He's definitely a stickler for the rule book. And he just sort of represents something that we're never going to see again in baseball history. And I think it's kind of cool that I've gotten to see so many years of Joe West umpiring Major League Baseball. I actually well, said comes, it, Randall. Yeah, Ronan. He comes Ronan, from a different Ronan. era. He comes from an yes. era where umpires had personality. Umpires today don't have personality. That's what people want. People don't want umpires with personality anymore. They want umpires that are just bland and make calls and make the correct. But he came from an era when guys had strike calls. Guys, they, they were like a part of the game. The umpire was like a, a part of the game. And now everything's on the umpire, you know. So people don't want that. But that's where Joe West came from. He came yeah. from that era. So he's like a throwback. Yeah, Ronan, you, you say you're developing a soft spot for him. You don't know what's mm -hmm. causing it. That's called Stockholm Syndrome. Look it up. Oh, jeez. Wow. No, I, I just think I think it's like it, it's it's it kind of dawned on me in the last two or three weeks that there's never going to be an umpire that's going to beat this record. It's just not possible anymore. The way that umpires work in the game, if there's even going to be umpires 30, 40, 50 years from now calling games, who knows what it's going to look like at that point. This is a piece of history that will never be seen again. And I I, I got a soft spot for that stuff now. And I think that he. I do think Joe West respects the game. I, I think that he has definitely had problems with certain players over the years. I mean, I think about like, uh, who's at Burley, that game in yeah. Cleveland where he got called, I think for two box and he ends up getting tossed. And that's when Hawk had his uh, Joe, Joe West uh, needs a rest. Joe I think West is what he needs said. a rest. <laughs> um, not a great moment in Joe West's career there, certainly. But I just think the perseverance, the fact that he's been able to make it work for 
5,300 games. It's kind of cool. And we're never going to see anything like it again. So he has been asked, you know, or is this it for you? Is this year going to be the end of it? He's a little bit uncertain on what the game plan is. I think we're going to get one more year of Joe with full ballparks and everything. And before he hangs it up, but it'll be different. The sport will be different without Joe West moving forward. And it's something that we're never going to see again. Yeah. I, I, you know, those critiques, he definitely, definitely is a guy who, um, doesn't shy away from the spotlight, especially for an umpire. And there may have been times when he went too far into the spotlight and major league baseball has had to pull him back a little bit. You know, when he's talking crap about the way the Red Sox and the Yankees are playing, they're playing four hour games, which to be honest, he's not necessarily wrong. Um, but uh, you know, it's not really a place for an umpire to be speaking on like a radio show and, 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 you know, speaking in that sense, but uh, for a person who's actually had interaction with him, he's actually a pretty nice man. He, uh, my grandfather used to play golf with him in Florida. And so I, I've gotten a few, I got a Joe, nice Joe West autograph. I got the album. He gave me an umpire's hat once. He used to leave tickets for us in Florida. So I'm a little cool. biased. I'm a little biased when it comes to Joe West, but uh, I did think, you know, even, I feel like even the guys that, he, you know, he had run-ins with a little bit, they appreciate him. You know, Ozzy was joking about him on the broadcast the other night when he, beat the record, passed the record. He, uh, you know, he, he, he said uh, there was one good joke I thought Ozzy had when they asked uh, Ozzy his thoughts about Joe West. And he said, well, Joe West is the reason I have to work this job because I'm out of, I don't have any money anymore after he tossed me so many times, <laughs> but or something along those lines. So I thought that was pretty funny, but you know, all good fun. And it was nice. Even it was nice. Even on the day when he broke the record, Benetti and Steve Stone, Steve Stone, who called him out in that Burley game, I believe, um, uh, uh, Steve Stone was giving him some love on the on a final call that Joe West made. Uh, it was a strike three call on Tommy Edmond that Edmond was arguing with. That it was it was actually in the zone according to the the pitch tracks. And, and Steve Stone's like Joe West made the correct call on the right call. It was a good call on his night. You know when he passed it all. So all hats off to Joe West, and he's going to be taking those hats apparently as well. Randall, any closing thoughts on Country Joe before we put that behind us? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll say one more here and I'll try and spin this into a positive. I, I suppose it does say something that for all of his run-ins with players and all of his on the field getting mixed up in things, Jeremy, as you said, he always finds himself in the center of certain things. It, it does say something that there are people even with whom he has had run-ins who are able to, at this point, go, aw shucks, he's not that bad of a guy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, one, one hat off, only one, one hat okay. off to, to Joe West. I'll take the one hat off. And I think in the grand scheme of things, once we can kind of, once he retires and some years pass and you sort of look back on the story or the legacy of Joe West, I do think he's going to be remembered in a better light than the day-to-day -day when you see him doing his job. I don't think that's going to be the case for Angel Hernandez. I think that's no. a guy who the day that he hangs it up, it's all over and done with. He's, he's never going to be maybe revered in a way that I do think Joe West will be revered by members of the major league fan base. You know, Ronan, you said 30, 40, 50 years from now, whether there will even be umpires or not. I'm imagining, um, you know, an automated strike zone run by computers and cameras. But there's Joe West's head, like in Futurama, in a jar, maybe plugged in. And he's still running, running that machinery from behind the scenes. Well, so Joe West, Joe West eternal, even when we go to an automated strike zone. Well, I was going to say, maybe we need uh, an Angel Hernandez bot if we're going to go to automated systems. You know, you still want to have a little bit of that game in there. You get an Angel Hernandez bot in there to blow a few calls every once in a while, just to just to keep it. Hey, just to an intentional, us. an intentional yeah. ghost in the system. 
Exactly. Well, if they do go automated, Randall, maybe uh, maybe they'll be calling it like the Joe West system or something in his honor. I mean, he will be remembered as one of the all time umpires you in know, Major League history. Ronan, right and that would not surprise me in the slightest. And I'm being completely serious yeah. when I say that if they do ever go to a full automated strike zone, that they, they would name it something like West Tech or something like that and put his name on it. I'm, I'm being completely serious when I say I could absolutely see that happening. I'm with you. Try and make it with an acronym. Uh, W-E-S-T. I'll, I'll let you yeah, think exactly. about that one, Jeremy, for a minute, what that stands for. Randall yeah. will have a, a pun by the end of the show here for what the uh, W-E-S-T umpiring system really stands for. I mean, he may already have one. He's you know, I, I have one. I have one now, and it, it, it kind of writes itself starting with the W. But you know what? In the spirit of the segment, I'm going to I'm going to leave it be. Uh, I'll tell oh, you guys give later. it to us. Give it to you us. Know, you know, well, okay. We got the W.E. How about worst ever? I do. And then the worst ever. The system S, technology. Worst ever system technology. It writes itself. You know, again, <laughs> I was going to demur in the spirit of the segment, but you, you pulled it out. So perfect. It writes itself. All right, Randall, before we uh, bring this one home here, do we have time for a quick cub killer segment? Awesome. We do, as a matter of fact, and uh, I have pulled a player from a series that the Cubs just recently completed. That is outfielder Ben Gamel, who is late of the Pirates, and he has always struck me as a guy that the Cubs have simply never been able to get out. So, of course, I dug into the numbers. I dug headfirst into baseball reference, and for his career, Ben Gamel is a 258 hitter, 329 on base, 350 slugging. And that adds up to a career OPS of 629 versus the Cubs. The numbers do bear it out. He goes from a 258 career batting average to 313 on base at 375. He slugs 484 against the Cubs. So that is a hundred plus points higher than his career average. And that adds up to a career OPS against the Cubs of 859, which mm. again is 230 points higher than his career <laughs> OPS. Now there's a bit of a caveat to this. It is a pretty small sample size. He only has 72 played appearances against the Cubs in his career. He's only played in 27 games against the Cubs. I thought he was with Milwaukee for a lot longer than he was, but turns out it was only 2019 and 2020. So that's a season and a third, but just the same. It's this guy who's a completely middling hitter for his career. He's not particularly noteworthy and it just feels like they've never been able to get him out. And sure enough against Kimbrell the other night, it was a situation that wasn't particularly key he was leading off in a, a, a an inning where the Cubs still had a three-run lead and of course he smokes a double to straightaway center that Hap can't haul in but again just a guy that feels like the Cubs have never been able to get out and maybe even more strangely you know you look at a guy's rate stats you take a look at his counting stats too none of those are particularly impressive too he only has one career home run against the Cubs only another six career extra base hits four doubles two triples but it's just a guy that can't keep off base, it seems. So Ben Gamble, we will add him to the list of, mm. I don't know if you want to call him a cub killer, but he's definitely a Cubs pest. Just a guy they can't seem to get out uh, against his completely average career numbers. Well, maybe you're thinking of his brother, Matt Gamble. You know, I, I, T I think it Brewers. was either, I, I think it was either Boog or Pat, one of the play-by-play voices who made that same mistake, um, during this last series called him Matt Gamble accidentally. And of course, Matt Gamble, uh, the former Brewers standout who I remember one writer describing as having, and I quote tree trunk legs apparently. So I guess he was a very large individual, powerful individual, 
but yeah, just this, you know, average guy. He's, I know he's got the long hair and the beard, long hair and the beard. So maybe he stands out visually a little bit more, but just this completely average to below average career hitter who has never really been able to, uh, the Cubs have never really been able to get him out. And one quick note here, um, his career OPS is actually 713 versus the 629. That's his OPS for the season. But even that is still a hundred some points lower than what the Cubs have allowed him to do in his career. So slighter on my part, but it doesn't change the point much. Just a guy, the Cubs have trouble getting out uh, against average career numbers. You mentioned the beard. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that, uh, Randall was talking about his legs. He, I think his career ended on like an ACL tear. Mm. And uh, Cubs actually claimed him on waivers that offseason, but I don't I don't think he ever played a game in the organization. I remember when they you claimed know, him. Yeah, yeah, and I was going to say, I, 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 like, I like beards. I'm a beard guy. Ben Gamble, like one, of the, one of the best beards in baseball right now, and Ben Gamble was something I noticed here in the Pirates series, and I'm like, oh, that's, uh, he's looking good. He's uh, holding it down. Strong beard game across Major League Baseball right now. Randall, I got a player for you to take a look at here. Jeremy, we'll let you sit on one here. I know you'll have one in a minute. Um, The player, and I have not looked up any numbers, Randall. I'm going to need you to do some homework on this. Let me name the player. I've got a short story while you're looking up the numbers, and then you can tell me whether or not that's the case. So when I think about potential Cubs killers, a name here um, that certainly I was thinking about, Carlos Lee. And I mentioned Carlos Lee. I've been thinking about Carlos Lee a little bit lately. Uh, a ball game I went to back in June of 2001 at New Comiskey Park. It was the first time in my life that I ever went to a Cubs-White Sox game. In 2001, a team I've got incredible memories of that Cubs team. The Cubs went into this game at New Comiskey having won 15 of their last 16 games. They were five up on the Cardinals in the National League Central. Cubs struck early in that game. It was the largest crowd in the history of New Comiskey Park. 45,936 fans this night. Carlos Lee, unfortunately, hits a walk-off grand slam off Courtney Duncan to win that one. It sent me a very, very sad 14-year-old Ronan O'Shea back to the suburbs here, mourning the Cubs' loss. Cubs made up for it a couple weeks ago. Ricky Gutierrez had a game-winning grand slam against the White Sox at Wrigley Field over the head of Carlos Lee. That came in the eighth inning a couple of weeks later. But when I think about Cubs killers over the year, I think of Carlos Lee, not just with the White Sox, but also those years in Milwaukee. So, Randall, is you get a chance to look at those numbers a little bit. Am I on the money here? Was Carlos Closely a Cubs killer. Ronan, as you so often are, you were correct. And this is another case of a guy who had a pretty good career offensively, but he was just that much better against the Cubs. I'll give you some career numbers on Carlos Lee, who spent his career, of course, with the White Sox, where he earned the nickname El Caballo, Spanish for Mm. the horse, of course. Uh, he ended up in Milwaukee via trade, uh, a brief stint with the Rangers, and then finished his finished his career. Uh, a long stint with the Astros and then uh, a forgettable half season with the Miami Marlins. So he's certainly played on some of my favorite teams in his <laughs> career. Uh, but for that career, he hit 285. He got on base at 339. He slugged 483. That adds up to an OPS of 821. Against the Cubs in his career, over 148 games, a lot of those, of course, coming with the division opponent, Houston Astros, but some of them coming with the White Sox. 148 games. He hit 294. He got on base at 353. He slugged 552. And that adds up to, of course, to an OPS of 905. 
in those 148 games, he hit 39 home runs, including one that made a young Ronan O'Shea very sad. He drove in 109 runs and another 31 doubles on top of that. So another example of a guy who had a pretty good career offensively, but he was just that much better against the Cubs. He got on base a number of points higher. He slugged almost 70 points higher against the Cubs. And that OPS for his career was uh, 80 some points higher than his career OPS. So another guy who always seemed to do great work against the Cubs, no matter what team he was playing for. Yeah. I was going to mention that he played for the Astros as well. after Ronan. So he had a lot of uh, experience there in the NL central with the Brewers and Astros and then crossover in the AL central. Uh, So I got, I guess I have one. Um, which is a name that uh, I don't know if he is actually a cup killer or not, but in my head, he always was when I was growing up, felt like he always played big against the Cubs. That that would be Barry Larkin, mm. uh, who I learned that both Ronan and I, I believe I learned this, we both had a Barry Larkin glove. Yes. Uh, so Barry Larkin, it just, it just always felt like every time in a big spot when the Cubs were playing the Reds, Barry Larkin was coming through. Carlos Lee was hitting a homer in that spot, but it always felt like Barry Larkin was like ripping a double somewhere down the line in a gap just seemed like Barry Larkin was just always hitting line drives everywhere, getting on base somehow. I don't know. I just, just watching games. I just, I just always kind of remembered Barry. And it might just be because the Cubs were playing the Reds so much and Barry Larkin was always around. So maybe that's just kind of, you know, but it just felt like Barry Larkin was a legit dude against the Cubs. Well, Jeremy, your instincts are spot on. And again, this is another guy, of course, who didn't just have a great offensive career. He was a hall of fame shortstop uh, before his career. Uh, Barry Larkin he played 19 seasons all of them of course with the Cincinnati Reds he hit 295 he got on base at 371 he slugged 444 and that of course is an OPS of 815 Uh, you take his numbers against the Cubs for his career and of course as a division opponent he had ample opportunity to play against the Cubs 175 career games against the Cubs he hit 317 so that is above his career batting average he got on base and on 292 that is also above his career on base percentage he slugged uh, 480 which is right around his career average so again another great offensive player who had great success against the Cubs and given that he played his career from 1986 to 2004 uh, all again, always Cincinnati. He probably had the opportunity to face some very not great Cubs pitching staffs in that time. And then uh, as far as the, the counting stats in those 175 games against the Cubs, he hit 17 home runs. He drove in 70 runs, 40 doubles against the Cubs in his career. So uh, again, another great example of a hall of fame player who did great work against the Cubs. So Jeremy, I know you d- sometimes define Cubs killer a, d- a little differently than me, but he certainly did not have any trouble hitting against the Cubs for his career. No, and it sounds like he hit better against the Cubs than he, I mean, not a huge amount, but he did hit better against the Cubs uh, than he did against uh, the rest of his career. And also something I was just thinking about now, though, um, for a major portion of his career, it just kind of hit me that he probably wasn't actually uh, facing the Cubs as much in um, the earlier part of his career as they were, the Cubs were, I believe the Reds were in the NL West while the Cubs were in the NL East. And then realignment hit in the mid nineties, which of course is a portion of the career that I probably wouldn't remember as much, but the latter half of the career, it just seemed like he was always beating up on the Cubs when they're in the same division. And, you know, we, we talk about bad ownership, whether it's in Colorado right now, the, the Cubs ownership, what he had to put up with in his time in Cincinnati, it, it just, 
there's a lot of literature on it. It's worth reading about. But this is a man who demonstrated an unbelievable level of restraint and professionalism in the face of racial bias from his owner, Marge Schott. Um, funny quote, though, from Barry Larkin. You know, there are so many stories about Marge and a lot of horrible stories about Marge. One of the things that a lot of players complained about, she had a little dog that would run around with her all the time. It'd go on the field all the time. And a funny quote from Barry Larkin, direct quote from him. The only thing I don't like about the dog is when it takes a crap at shortstop because I might have to dive into that shit. So he had a really good attitude about it, all things considered. But I think about that horrible ballpark that they played in with the AstroTurf, the ashtray that they were playing in with AstroTurf, how hot that field would get in a Cincinnati summer. And that little dog taking dumps all over the field while you got this world-class Hall of Fame shortstop there trying to do his job. That kind of a humorous moment, but in all seriousness, he dealt with a whole lot of nonsense with that ownership group in his time there. And to his credit, he still put together a Hall of Fame career. Yeah, and Barry Larkin, a hometown guy from Cincinnati, mm-hmm. uh, went to Michigan for college, but uh, I think he went to Moeller High School, which is the same high school that Kendrick Jr. went to, although I believe uh, Barry Larkin is a little older, so I'm not sure they ever crossed paths at the same time. But uh, just to mention, just to bring it back, as I always do, and we got to get a little Illini mention in here. I am a little <laughs> mad at Barry Larkin a little bit for him for siring a son named Shane Larkin at the University of Miami who hit a couple big shots in the tournament against the Illini about 10 years ago when the Illini lost in the second round against Miami and created basically the new rule that is kind of ruining college basketball of every time there's a ball off somebody's hand out of bounds in under two minutes that gets reviewed because of a bad call in that game with the Illini should have had the ball. After that, they changed the rule. It should have been reviewed. You got to get the Illini in every time. You got to find a way to weave Pearl Jam and the Illini. And I think you did yeah, both I today. There was a, was there? I thought there was a Pearl Jam note earlier. Well, there is now. So, okay. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, it, look, lots to come up here. Uh, obviously, the Cubs are finishing the series with the Reds, Padres next week. We'll get another pod going uh, in the next week here. Uh, I'm around another week and a half here in Chicago. So, really good. It was awesome bumping into you guys last night. We got to one of our old staples here on the North Shore, the old landmark inn in Northbrook. It was great. You know, it's, it's interesting, a place like that. There was one staff member who has been there all the years. We've been going there for probably 15 years now for dinners, normally on the patio, watching a Cubs game. It was cool to see some, at least one old staffer who has stuck around. Uh, the rest of the place just doesn't really change. You know, the new people, new faces in there, but the the vibe in the restaurant, very much the same as it always is. It was good to be back on the, the home turf. And then today, Jeremy had a Barnaby's dinner after a day at Wrigley Field. What's better than that? little bit of Barnaby's pizza to kind of bring the day home. That that's a victory dinner. If I've seen one. Ronan, allow me to be the one to ask, were you emotional? Did the Barnaby's make you emotional? I know it it didn't, uh, it didn't yet. I mean, we'll see towards the end of the trip when I know, okay, I got to go back out West and I love where I live. I think Colorado is an amazing place, but the pizza in Colorado is a, it's an embarrassment. It's terrible what they do with pizza uh, west of the Mississippi, really. And um, starting in St. Louis, they don't really know how to make pizza down there either. So once you cross the Mississippi, nobody knows what the hell to do with pizza. That's the problem in Denver these days and in Colorado. But to come home, get a victory at Wrigley Field, cap it off with some Barnabies, and to have tickets tomorrow. Jeremy and I will be in the upper deck tomorrow. That's a pretty good way to get the weekend going here for the holiday weekend. Yeah, pretty good view as well. It'll be right over home plate. 
Yeah, we're get that uh, hands ready. We're getting a foul ball. We'll get we're getting Anthony Rizzo foul ball tomorrow. I'm calling it oh, now. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're manifesting Rizzo back in the lineup tomorrow. You heard yes. it here first. Yeah. Let's let's make it, it so. Off a of left hand. We'll Content for everybody as well. BTYL podcast will take some pictures and things out at the ballpark tomorrow and share that with everybody. Uh, one more score update here, Randall. This will make you angry, put you in a bad mood as we bring this home. Cardinals seven, Diamondbacks three as that game moves in to the seventh inning stretch. So probably the Cubs a half out when we get back out to Wrigley tomorrow, but still playing very, very good baseball and a chance for another series victory if they can win tomorrow against the Reds. Speaking of the Reds, I wanted to shout out one of our uh, dedicated listeners uh, who is a, a frequent interactor of ours on Twitter. I want to shout out Stan Miller real quick. Um, Stan Miller, uh, a COVID survivor. I know he was dealing oh. with it very heavily um, when it was raging unchecked. Uh, he's still kicking. He's still around. He's always listening to our podcast. He's always giving us notes on Twitter. So I want to shout out Stan Miller at uh, Milbo11 on Twitter. He noted today that uh, former Cub Brad Brock whose yes. Cubs tenure did not really work out, um, returned with the Reds today. So, you know, I'm glad Brack, Brad Brock is, uh, is still kicking. Hopefully the, if he comes in against the Cubs later this season, they can get a, a few runs off of him. But shout out to Stan for always listening to us, always uh, interacting with us on Twitter. It's good to know that we have loyal listeners out there. Yes. Yeah. Stan is awesome. And Stan, I know you're listening to this. We will not snooze on Billy Williams here for episode number 26. We've got a couple big names to get to 21 for Sammy, 22 for Sanders, 23 for Sandberg, a big stretch of S's here, but we'll get sweet swing and Billy Williams some love when we get to podcast number 26. Uh, next time too, I've been teasing this for a little bit, been uh, wrapping up the school year and everything else that's been going on. We will have some trivia when we get back together next week, I'm working on some homecoming style trivia that we can get going for the next time. But for Jeremy, for Randall, this is Ronan. Thanks for joining us again. We are on Twitter at BTYL podcast, and we'll see you next week sometime uh, around that Cubs Padres series for another update here on the show. We'll see you then.